Amen and good morning. Hope you got your Bibles. Take your Bibles out as we are progressing towards the cross. We are now in the trial phase of the passion of the Christ. We find ourselves looking at John chapter 18. We're going to begin today in verse 33. We're going to work down to about verse 17. And that will take us as Jesus is on the road literally to Calvary. Stand with me and let's just get started today and get our mind wrapped around of where we are in the story as, as we look at John 18. We're going to look to start with verses 33 to 38 just, just to get us started and, and then we'll pray. So Pilate entered, in, entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Did you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to them, What is truth? Let's pray. Lord, now as we have come to this point in redemptive history and our story of working through the gospel of John, Lord, it has been my prayer all week as we get ready for next week's sermon as we see him on the cross that that we will understand the great need that we and this world is in. We have been singing about it this morning. Lord, help us to see it, and to celebrate the fact that your son has died, but he has risen again. And because of that, we are your kingdom children. And with all the promises and all the blessings and all the crosses, we give you praise this morning for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You could be seated. So there's a, a great writing in antiquity that was written about the 5th century by a guy named Augustine. And the, the writing he wrote was called The City of God. And his point of, of this huge, really magnum opus of his whole work was that existing among men here, there are two cities, the city of man and the city of God. Two cities, two societies, as we're going to talk, and we've been singing two kingdoms. And he said, in issuing from this, coming from these two kingdoms, there are two kinds of love, a self-centered love and a God love. There is a kingdom that seeks the praises of men, and there is a kingdom that seeks the praises of God, who labors for God's glory. Augustine hits it right on the head, and we see it here in our story as Jesus is on trial, and you see it tomorrow as you get about life. There are two kingdoms 
in this world in which we live. And the hard part for me and you is we live in one city but of another city. This is not easy. Jesus is on the way to the cross. He has went from the upper room to the garden to the courtyard and now he is before Pilate. He has been delivered up to him bound. And I have tried to you just through the story to underline one truth and I want to underline another truth this morning that leads to the necessity of the cross next week. God is sovereign and his plans are unstoppable. Pilate could not stop Jesus from going to the cross if he wanted to. He's going to the cross. That's the definite plan. At the same time, we've started seeing it last week. You're going to see it this week. Listen, this is an important principle in life. People always choose what they highest desire. I'm not saying what they desire the most. We want a lot of things. I'm saying our choices, including pilots, and it's coming from what he highest desires. No matter what kingdom you live in, this is true. I'll give you an example. This, the sea of examples are endless. A guy's on a diet, doing real good. He gets invited to a birthday party. He shows up at this place, the location for the birthday party, and they got that big word over the restaurant that says, buffet. It's like, oh my goodness. You know, he's on a diet. That's not where people go on a diet need to go, right? Just taps into our sinful nature. Can't stand somebody eating my piece of chicken. You know, I got to get up there and eat that before, and I got to hurry up and eat my other one so I can get back and get the next one. He's doing good till he gets up and he goes at the end of the meal and he goes to the dessert bar. You know, 20 desserts on there and you got the cup, the little cup, and you got the plate, and you got the plate. Now, which one do you get when you go to that dessert bar? I always get the big one. Well, that's where he goes to. You see, right at that point, he's got some desires that come to bear right there, don't he? I'm, it's to some degree, he wants to stay on his diet. He's been doing good. You know, been working hard. It takes a lot to get them two pounds off. I could eat that plate and there it goes. I want to stay on my diet, but my goodness, they got six of my favorite things on that bar. You know, and besides, I've done good this week. Right? I stayed on that thing. I've been drinking water and eating leaves. I mean, what's it going to hurt? And he, he's wrestling between those two desires. And he says, I'm going to get the big plate. So as he's reaching for the big plate, his wife walks up. And she looks at him. So what does he do? He gets the little cup. He goes over to the fat-free yogurt machine. The question is, what did he highest desire? Not what he necessarily wanted. He wanted the big plate. He ends up with the cup of yogurt. The question is, you see, He chose from his highest desire. And it wasn't the diet nor the dessert. It was the will of his wife. Right? This is a general principle in life. You can use it with finances. Where you're going to eat for lunch today. This is true. It was true in Judas' life. It was true in Peter's life. It was true in the religious elite's life. It's true in Pilate's life. And listen, it was true in Jesus Christ's life. Because he is doing exactly what he desires to do. And his desire is to do the will of the Father. This is true. 
See, there are two kingdoms, God and this world. There are two values, truth and pragmatism. If you don't know what pragmatism is, you already know what it is. You will know before the sermon's out. And these values lead to two choices. Allegiance or rejection. Two kingdoms. Kingdoms have kings. That's what Pilate's concerned about. Look at verse 33 in our story. So remember, the, the, the Jewish leaders have already said he's guilty. They have bound him. They have delivered him over. They wouldn't go in because they wanted to celebrate the Passover, remember. So Pilate has had to come out. The trial now is, is ensuing. So he asked him the question, the only question that really matters to Pilate. Are you a king? Specifically notice what he's saying. Are you a king of the Jews? Now poor Pilate had drew the short straw in assignments because he had been assigned to Judea to put up with these pesky Jewish people who just wouldn't go along. They were always kicking against the goad. Every, every time these holidays come up, they get themselves all worked up and i got to try to keep them. And if I make the wrong decision, this could end my career. In every situation with the Jews, he was worrying about that. But the charge was before him. The charge was sedition. Though it started theological, remember. The whole question is, who is Jesus? Is the whole question in really in this world. Who is he? And what they have worked up now into their political scheme is that he is guilty of sedition. That is, of raising up a revolt against the government. You can look down in chapter 19 and verse 12 and see the issue. They're saying, this man opposes Caesar. So they have trumped up. And what we are experiencing now is the same thing you're experiencing when you look at the news. It is politics at its finest or at its lowest, whichever you want to say. That's what's going on here. Pilate don't want to play. He don't want to play. He just wants Jesus to go away. But the question is, are you the king? Four times John wants to make sure we understand the issue is the king of the Jews. John in this story is just dripping with irony as, as Pilate and even as Caiaphas makes all these statements because of their own free will and yet they're just fulfilling the plan of God and in some degree they're just stating the fact of who he is because he is the king of the Jews. <laughs> Don't you just, can't you just imagine, imagine people didn't like Jesus? He aggravated them at every turn because every time they ask a question, what did he do? He asked another question. Little good tip there, by the way, Jesus is teaching us. He says, he asked Pilate, now imagine you're in trial, on trial you're bound up, and, and you say this, did you say this because you wanted to? Or just because you heard it from somebody else? There's some wisdom in this, you see. Not supposed to admit charges based off hearsay. So did you come up with this on your own, or are you just submitting hearsay into, into evidence? Well, you know, you can imagine how that went. Verse 36. Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might, might, might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. So the question is, are you a king? And you can see in verse 36, he says, I am a king, but... You have no, if you have a kingdom, you see, you have to have a king. And here's, 
the reality of the Roman mind in even today. Kingdoms are secured through force, through violence, through overwhelming power over a potential threat. Little sidebar here. There's going on here in our story, a now and a not yet, between the first coming of Christ and the second return of Christ. Because listen, there's force coming. But that's not yet. This is what he's trying to explain. Jesus is teaching that his kingdom, yes, he's a king, but his kingdom's not going to be set up with violence. It's not going to be a forceful takeover. I have a kingdom. See, kingdoms have domains. You and I are not the kingdom. We're, we live in a kingdom. The kingdom. The kingdom's a domain over which the king rules over with his sovereignty. And look at what he says in verse 36. That's the core text today. My kingdom is not like the world. It's not a world-like kingdom. So we see here Jesus is teaching Pilate if he will listen it's not the nature of his kingdom. The nature of his kingdom is non-worldly, or we would say heavenly. And so turn with me to 1 John. Oftentimes we can find a little bit, some more extensive information or explanation in his letter, John's letter in 1 John. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. You may want to mark this. We're going to come back to this verse here in just a minute too. Look at verse 15. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17. And the world is passing away along with what? It's desires, but whoever does the will of God abides, how long? Forever. There's the nature of the kingdom. It's not simply the nature of the kingdom too. It's the nature of the kingdom children. This, the nature of the kingdom is that it's heavenly. It is eternal. And listen, it is spiritual. And this is critical. It's what Pilate's trying to understand and discern. Are you a threat? Jesus to me. Are you a threat to Rome's kingdom? Matthew 4 17, just listen, you know this, it's all through the Gospels. It says, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you see the nature of this spiritual kingdom? This spiritual kingdom is not going to take up arms but call for repentance. The nature of the kingdom is to first deal with the core of the problem of what is wrong with this world. And what is wrong with the world is us. What is wrong with the world is our sin. Our desires always make choices, you see. That's the problem. It is to deal with the dominion issue that resides in your heart and mind. That's what he's saying. That's my kingdom. I've got a purpose. I'm come to accomplish this. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd 
always lays his life down for the sheep. I have come to lay my life down because that is the only way they're going to have life and have it abundantly. i got to fix the problem that lies within. So listen, this is important. His spiritual kingdom is a spiritual kingdom of truth that represents the lordship of Christ over the lives of his people. That's first. That's the now. But there is, in contrast, a worldly kingdom. What is the nature of the worldly kingdom? Now, if you've got 1 John still marked, you can see it very clearly in 1 John. First, it is temporal. The worldly kingdom is limited. Another word we can say is finite. Just notice in 1 John 2, verse 17, that the world is what? It's passing away. It is not eternal. And they, it is corrupt. Do you see it? Again, look back up to 1 John. That's, it's so clear there. For all that is in the world, verse 16, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what's going on with the Jewish people? What's going on with these religious leaders? What's going on inside of Pilate right now? Self-centered greed and pride. That's what's going on. That's what's in here. That's the problem. That's the world. That's this kingdom. That's the world's kingdom. The world's kingdom has dreams and desires, and if you get in their way, they will crush you. Rome has a king, and it has a kingdom. The king is Caesar. The kingdom is all the conquest they have. And it's never enough, by the way. One of the reasons why Rome ended up failing is they, their kingdom became so expansive they could not control it. The question is this. Who's the Jews' king in their kingdom? Right? If you ask the Jews who was their king, what would they have said? Maybe nobody, but who they would have probably said is Yahweh's a king. Was he their king? Look at their actions. They reject their Messiah. They're, they're, you see, what happens is you can be very religious and still be in the wrong kingdom. They had their religion and they had their traditions and those were far more important than who was Jesus. Jesus was a threat to their traditions. So they killed him. Two kingdoms. Jesus is concerned with answering these questions. What is wrong with the world? And how can what is wrong be made right? He's answering the question. What is wrong with the world is us. <laughs> it is the dominion that's inside of us. And because we are in the wrong kingdom, we have values. There's kingdom values. We can see it clearly. And Pilate, look at verses 37 and 38. Two kingdoms with two distinct values. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. <laughs> uh, you just have to put yourself there and imagine Pilate's just about to pull his, his crown off, you know. That literally means, you say that I'm a king. Another way of saying yes. Look what he gets to. This is, this is what Jesus 
wants to teach. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. To that, Pilate said, what is truth? Which was a disdainful answer to end the conversation and turn. So you see there's two values here that you can't miss during the trial of Jesus. And the first is the value of truth. Do you see it? That's his point. It's what he's getting to. He has described the kingdom in two ways. First negatively, then positively. Negatively, it's non-worldly. My kingdom is. And Nancy says it's made up. This kingdom has a purpose. And its purpose is to testify of the truth. And listen, that purpose hasn't changed. If you study the end times that you will find in Scripture, there's two realities to people who care about it. That is, they grow in godliness and they grow in their declaration of the truth. They don't sit around and argue with each other. They get busy with the gospel because Christ is coming back. This is the truth. He is here to declare who He is and what He's done. The truth is that He is the fulfillment of all of redemptive history. The fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. He is the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's come to redeem fallen man, just like He promised He would. The problem is, the world could care less. Do you see it? What is truth? He is, Pilate, so to speak, the postmodern before postmodernism. Not exactly, by the way, what you want your judge to say <laughs> when you're standing before him. Who cares about truth? It's like, whew, you know, we're, you're in for a long day when you hear that. It's your truth. It's not my truth. That's good for you, Mike, if you want to live that. But it's not me. I establish what my truth is. My desires equals my truth. And so Jesus explains, this is why I'm here. I have allowed myself to be bound. This is why I'm going to allow myself to be abused and beaten and ultimately crucified. To do the work of the kingdom to reveal truth. John 14, 1-6 says this to anxiety-filled disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In verse 2 he says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. And if, if it weren't... So would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Listen to how he describes it. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and we don't know how to get there. In verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is why... Jesus would, would say in John 8, If you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's why he's here. Against this value system is the world's value system, which is pragmatism. Pragmatism says this, It is true if it works. If it works. If it works for my desires. If it achieves my highest desire, then it's true. Doesn't matter what God says, doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter what some book says, it's what I want to do. It's how my end for this world. And it can be very religious or it can be irreligious. 
Pilate says, truth. Huh. This is ultimately about power. It's about control. It's about politics. It didn't really matter whether Jesus was innocent nor guilty to either one of them, really. All that mattered is how it's going to affect them. And they would do whatever they need to do so it worked out good for them. Does that sound familiar? By the way, this is what your children are going to be taught in college, so you better get prepared for it. The only truth is what you make out of it, so you need to find your group that that identifies with your truth and join that group. And, And they will do anything to secure their kingdom because that's what kingdoms do. So grab this truth today. That which you highest value, you will build your life around. That which you value the highest in your life, I would say this, you are already building your life around. Because values drive our choices. So it did with Pilate, and so it does with the Jews. The choices begin to become very clear here. We have two distinct choices. The only ones we really see in the story is that of rejection. Rejection. We have the lamb's rejection. We could look at this. This whole thing is rejection. Let's just look at verses 38 to 40. Verses 38 to 40. I want you to see this Barabbas. And with this rejection, is this is a very clear Jewish rejection. This is when you can see so clearly that the Jews reject Jesus. Rejects his person, reject his work, and notice there is this issue that he as the lamb comes up. Let me read it. Verse 38, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. If you look at all the Gospels and put it together, Barabbas was a robber who led an insurrection that ended in murder. He was as good as dead. They said no. You know, they, did they love Barabbas? No. They hated Jesus. The truth. They hated Jesus. By choosing Barabbas, they rejected the only means by which they might be saved. John introduces something here that has a couple of sermons in it. But I don't want you to miss it. Because there's a context to the passion of the Christ. The context is two holidays converging together. The Passover, the Sabbath. The Passover and the Sabbath. The Passover was about that lamb, you remember, that had to be slain. And they had to put the blood over the doorpost in the Old Testament so that they might receive mercy and not justice and so they might be delivered. They remembered this. The lamb was their substitute. And here at this moment, we can see that not only did they reject the lamb that was their substitute, they rejected their Sabbath Jesus is our Sabbath. And He is the only means by which we might have rest. And when they rejected Jesus, they reject not only their Passover lamb, they reject their rest, their spiritual rest, because He is the only way one can find it. 
The lamb is rejected and then he is turned over. We see him being turned over greater and greater degrees to the Romans. We see the Romans' rejection is more violent. Verse 1 of chapter 19. It says, they took, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers, verse 2, twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple robes. They said to him, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hand. Probably this crown of thorns, despite we see it in the movies where it looks like they take some, some briars and thickets and put it on his head, was probably what, what they, we call a date palm. The reason the date palm was green. You could, if you folded it around, it looked like a wreath that a king or a victor might wear. The, the difference of it is date palms had these big long spikes in them. It would have tore into his brow and they put it on his head and they dressed him in a, in a robe according to the gospel of Mark. They put a reed in his hand like a scepter. What were they doing? They're trying to shame him. You see, Pilate had a point. If I can make this man look ridiculous enough, then they won't think he's going to be a threat and I can just get rid of him. I don't want to kill him. I don't want to do anything. I just want him to go away. One of the greatest or the most interesting thing I studied this week came from a man named D.A. Carson who said the Romans had three stages of floggings. They had the first one, that if you were just a troublemaker, you know, and they want to teach you a lesson. We'd call that around here, they're just going to give you a whooping. Right? They just give them a whooping. Just enough to say, don't you do that again. The middle one was saved for more intense things that would happen. It was more severe. The third one was saved for those who were sentenced to death, the sentence to crucifixion. That was the one that we've seen depicted on, on TV that would sometimes kill you. It would render all of your things in your back exposed where they could see it. In other words, his point was this. Jesus most likely received two beatings, one before his sentence and one after his sentence. The first one was just to try to shame him. Just to make him look pathetic. And we're going to see that in a minute. But after he was convicted of death, he would have went to the most severe scourge. The one that oftentimes even killed people before they got to the cross. He was rejected by the Jews. He was rejected by the Romans. And then he was unjustly condemned. Pilate's not done in verse 4. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold the man. See what Pilate's doing? He's presenting before them this joke of a king. To say, this dude's no threat to, to me or to you either one. Look at him, he's pathetic. Did that work? No, it just made him matter. Interesting point. Look down around verses 8 to 11, chapter 19. It says here that Pilate was afraid. It, his plan's not working. They're only getting more and more vocal, more and more upset. Why was he so afraid? Two reasons. One of them you have to read the other Gospels to grab a hold of. Pilate was a highly superstitious man. Remember, they were polytheistic. Polytheistic. 
And his wife had had a dream. And the point of the dream was this. Stay away from that dude. Just stay away from him. We would, you would hear people saying in this, in this day, you know, there's some bad karma going to come out of this. You got all these gods, you see. And the point is, if Jesus somehow to the Romans has some kind of divine connection, then he could make it bad for us. The gods may not give us rain, or we might not be able to have children. I don't know what it is. Just stay away from him. He didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus because he was superstitious. But not only that, remember his highest desire was to find his peace and his place in this Roman kingdom. And this Jewish mob could mess up everything. So he was afraid of what the, the, the mob might do. You see, he was in charge of making sure the rules and the laws and the peace was kept among all these little communities. And it wasn't easy to do with the Jewish people. You can see him getting angry. You can see why he was afraid. Verse 15 says they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, Listen, if you want to see rejection, here it is. We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. You see... Think about this. When truth goes out the window, wholesale hypocrisy, I would call it mindless hypocrisy, is the result. They chose Barabbas that was guilty of insurrection. What were they accusing Jesus of? Insurrection. Right? You, you see that? There's no truth there. There's no even any, any common sense to it. They hated Caesar. The Jews hated Caesar. They didn't think he was their king. Here's what, here, but here's what they said. See, truth's not the issue. We have no king but Caesar. So they reject him. Verse 16 and 17, we see, gets us to the end of our story for today. So they took Jesus and went out bearing his own cross to a place called place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha so he goes out carrying his cross 2 Corinthians 5.21 says for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God but we said there are two choices didn't we there's two kingdoms with two values and two choices the first one we see in the story is rejection but see, with the king, the choice is twofold. You will either show allegiance or you will reject that allegiance. So the other choice is allegiance. By the way, to make this possible in the human heart, Christ is going to have to die. You have to look pretty hard in this story to see allegiance. But it's there. In chapter 19, look at verse 9 to 11. This conversation, or really lack thereof, Pilate tries to go back in and ask him again who he is, and Jesus would not answer him. In verse 11, Jesus said to Pilate, 
you would have no authority over me at all unless it has been given you from above. Therefore, whoever has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus said to him, you wouldn't have any authority over me at all unless the Father gives it to you. That's authority, you see. He's saying, I have a kingdom that is eternal, and Pilate, yours is temporal. Paul agreed in Romans 13.1, he said, all authority has been instituted by God. They are accountable to them, to God, for their authority. Proverbs 21 and verse 1 said, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Listen, that's authority. That's kingdom authority. And kingdom authority leads to kingdom allegiance. It demands it. And I know as Americans, we don't like that. That's our problem. That's why we need Jesus to die. Kingdom authority demands kingdom allegiance. Matter of fact, look back up into verse 36. You can see some allegiance there. 18, chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus is saying, if this was my kingdom, my people would fight. Did you see that? If this was my kingdom, my kingdom people are are categorized by their undivided devotion to the king. My people wouldn't allow this to happen. Do you remember what he said in the garden when, when Peter cut off his ear? He said, could I not call 12 legions of angels down here if I wanted to? Oh, I got a kingdom. And kingdom authority demands kingdom allegiance. And kingdom allegiance looks like kingdom obedience. And kingdom obedience, and that alone, leads to kingdom inheritance. Let me say that again. Kingdom authority demands kingdom allegiance. And kingdom allegiance looks like kingdom obedience. And kingdom obedience will be rewarded with kingdom inheritance. And do you remember John 14? What is kingdom inheritance? It is the fact that one day Jesus will return and He will take us to be with Him. That's the reward. He is. The reward is the way, the truth, and the life. He is what we look for, what we long for. And so He in this world right now, to be a kingdom child is to understand and to declare the truth that there is one way. One way that one might be saved. One way to answer those questions in life. And it is Christ alone. And the truth is this that we learn from this story today. That allegiance has a cost. Whoever you swear allegiance to, there is a cost that comes with it. And you cannot avoid the cost. There is a cost to the kingdoms. And so today we would say, even if you're listening online, choose this day whom you would serve. Because there's a cost. It's a cost of following Christ. There's also a cost not to. This is just history. And about three years after Pilate delivers Jesus over, he is discarded by Caesar. He is removed from office. He is exiled and he falls out of history forever. Three years after he rejected the king of kings. 
The Jews rejected their king. And in A.D. 70, just as Jesus has promised, the Romans came down and they slaughtered them and they upturned the temple, every rock unturned, and they ended the sacrificial system and it has not been offered to this day. There's a cost to reject the king of kings. The kingdom of man promises life, but it delivers death. So the question today is a simple one. But really the most profound question that you or the people that you love could ever ask, the question is this, what is your highest desire? Not what you want the most. What is your highest desire? Answer that honestly. And it will reveal whose kingdom you belong to. I'm not asking you if you're religious. Listen, it was religious people who killed the king of kings. It was religious people, while they held on to their traditions, hollered crucifying. I'm asking you, who or what is your highest desire? Because here's what we know. You can look at your life objectively. Maybe you can't look at your life objectively. With people around you, you can look at your life objectively. And see who is your greatest desire. Philippians 3, it's not in your written notes, but it's on the screen. Philippians 3, I think Paul describes this the best. I couldn't say it any better than just simply to read God's Word. Philippians 3, verse 7. That's what it looks like when Christ is your highest desire. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection. And may share His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible. I may attain. The resurrection of the dead. As I read this week. And as me and Micah would talk about the sermon throughout the week. This verse came. This section in Revelation. Came up. I heard somebody, somebody talking to me. <laughs> I was in there going, Lord, here am I, send me. <laughs> it's like I think I was having a moment here. I was in there going, all right, Lord, if that's you, you're going to speak a little louder because I'm slow. Allegiance looks like something. The question is this, how will we see Jesus forever? Revelation 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on a throne, a scroll within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. 
And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion in the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes and with the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nations, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbered myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing amen and i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth in the sea And all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It is worth sitting and reflecting at the purpose of our life is to do that and to declare that now. How you enjoy the Lord, how you know Him, tells us whose kingdom we're in. And so, let us do only what they could do. Let us now worship the King. Let's pray together. And so, Lord... We are coming very intentionally, slowly to the cross. And Lord, if you would not have died for us, if the Holy Spirit would not have worked on our hearts, would we have not been there in the crowd? But God, you are rich in mercy. Because of your great love for us, we have been saved by grace. And we can do only what we see people doing as the end of redemptive history will begin to unfold. is to fall on our faces before God and to worship you with our voices and our very lives. And so now, Lord, as we stand to our feet, we are going to come to the tables to remember the Lamb that was slain, but that is alive and sits on the throne. We come to remember that we are His kingdom children to celebrate it, to give thanks for it, to renew ourselves again, and to say as we take the bread and the cup, Oh God, we long for the day when You return for us. That day when we will be taken into Your house and sit at Your table and Never leave your presence. 
God. Until then, God, make the kingdom so clear in our mind that knowing you might be our highest desire. And through your son, who lived and died and is coming again. So, Lord, receive our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.